can turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 103 this morning. Uh, and first, isn't it amazing to see our children and uh, just to hear them talk about the Word of God and talk about the things that they know of God? That is such an awesome thing. Uh, so, first of all, thank you uh, to all the teachers and everyone who invests their time in our young people uh, to build them up in Christ. That's such an awesome thing uh, to see our young people build up. And another thing is, I'm going to embarrass him in this moment. I've always, I kept, I keep thinking to tell him that I appreciate him, uh, but I always forget when I have the opportunity. So I'm going to embarrass him in front of everybody. Isn't it awesome to see Isaac playing bass? It adds so much. Uh, he does an awesome job, and it's uh, it adds a lot to what we're doing here. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And uh, we thank you all for your witness to our children. They are watching what we are doing, and they are picking up on things, and they learn from what they see us doing. So, uh, thank you all for your witness. Also, thank you all for your love and uh, uh, your gifts. Um, the cards, it's, it's a, it's a blessing. I don't, I don't know how to describe what it means to be a part of, uh, this church family. Uh, you know, I've said before, sometimes it's hard leaving, uh, a place you grew up and, and being around your family. My family was all very kind of in, it was, it was not normal that my family was all in ministry, but in the same area. I think we all knew that one of us eventually was going to be farther away. I never expected it would be me. But uh, we expected that. But it's been so easy to be here. And Christian just said the other day, the other day about how happy he is to be here because there's so much more to do. <laughs> so, uh, but we we are blessed to be a part of uh, this body of believers. And uh, thank you all for entrusting us with this responsibility. Uh, Psalm 103. Um, So this, uh, we've talked the last, last week and the week before about, uh, Psalm 95 and then in Hebrews 3, but, uh, Psalm 95 where it talks about, uh, come let us worship together and then come let us kneel before God. And it's talking about the congregation as a whole, uh, coming together, a call to worship for us to come together under the name of Christ and the blood of Christ and to be able to worship Him based on who He is. Uh, and that is such a significant thing for the body of believers to come together in worship. And again, I've said this, but there is something that we get when we worship together that we don't get when we worship on our own. Uh, but today I want to talk about from Psalm 103 what has to happen in the heart of an individual in, able to be, in order to be able to worship uh, in the community of believers uh, there's there's something that has to happen in the heart of a believer, a recognition of who God is, a recognition of God's goodness and His faithfulness, all that He is. There's something that has to be established in our hearts in order for us to be an effective member of uh, the, the community of believers. The Bible says that uh, each member has different gifts. You have a gift that I don't have. I have gifts that maybe some of you don't have. The, pro- the point is that the body of Christ takes each individual member functioning according to the gifts God has given him to accomplish the work of God. 
We should never expect one member to be able to do everything, but we should expect as a whole, as we are functioning in a healthy way, that we accomplish the work of Christ because we have each person who is gifted to do a certain task or do something, and this person does this thing, uh, whatever it is. But in order for us to be able to do that, there has to be something fundamentally established in our hearts, a foundation of an understanding of who God is, what he has done, what is available to us in him, how we interact with him. Uh, all of those things, they have to be established as a foundation in our hearts for us to work from. Uh, in our growth, uh, then uh, is established on that foundation. What I'm saying is there has to be a starting point that is established in our understanding of who God is and how he, established, how he interacts with us and how we interact with him. And I think uh, this is what's... Uh, part of that is what we see in Psalm 103. So we're just going to start in uh, verse 1. Um, <coughs> it says... Uh, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, for high, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, and you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Uh, so the first thing that we have to see uh, from Psalm 1 is understanding, again, what is established in the heart of a true worshiper. Now David wrote this song, and we're going to talk, this psalm, and a little bit uh, later we're going to talk about what had gone on in the life of David and how significant this is uh, based on what has, had happened in his life. But David was a true worshiper. We had talked multiple times. I've said that, uh, you know, at one point David had taken a census and he was not supposed to do that. So he had gone to make atonement for his sin before God and he had gone to the guy to get everything he needed and the guy says, you're the king, take everything you need. Just take it. And David said, I will not offer anything to God that costs me nothing. His heart was to worship God. His heart was not to just offer what was left over, but he was a true worshiper. His worship flowed from a desire. He understood who God was, and out of that he understood that there was no way that he could lay something before God that wasn't a sacrifice. 
I mean, he could have gone through all of the the rituals. He could have taken the animal, whatever it was, and, and offered it in the prescribed way. He could have done everything according to the law, but it would have meant nothing because it didn't come from his heart. It wasn't something that cost him anything. You see, a sacrifice before God isn't a sacrifice unless it costs me something within my, my heart. That What we're saying is religion is meaningless to God. What we're saying is the external regulations we've talked before about the difference between the law, uh, living by prescribed regulations, you have to do this and this and this and this, and then you're a Christian. We don't live that way as Christians. It's about the disposition of my heart, because I can, I can do all of these things on a list. I can do that in a heartless way. It's the same as if David would have taken those sacrifices and laid them before God. He would have taken them for free and then done all of the things he needed to do to, to uh, perform the sacrifice. There were specific ways they had to offer the sacrifice. He could have taken that animal and done every one of those things. But it wouldn't have been acceptable to God because of the disposition of his heart. The disposition of his heart was to give something. He understood that his heart condition was more important then the sacrifice, the physical sacrifice that people could see. He could lay this down and everybody could have looked on and saw that it was done in the right way. But they would have had no idea that it didn't mean anything because his heart was not in it. So he understood to lay anything before God that his heart had to be uh, aimed at the glory of God. It had to be something that truly cost him within his heart. But he understood he was a true worshiper and out of that... We see his first words here. He says, uh, I'm sorry, I turned my notes here. He said, uh, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. So the first thing we see in the heart of the worshiper is the desire for his whole being. Every part of his inmost being directed at God, aimed at glorifying him. That's what he is saying. Everything within me, all my affections, all my desires, my emotions, my passions, everything that is contained in my soul, praising God. That means everything within me, all my talents, my time, my affections, my passions, everything directed at the glory of God. That's what he is saying there. Uh, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, everything within me, praising God. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading uh, said this, The soul of man was made to praise and bless God, to enjoy his friendship, to delight in his favor, to contemplate his perfections. The soul can never be employed in a more appropriate or more elevated act than when engaged in praise. The idea is that God is worthy of all the praise and adoration which the entire man can render. No one of his faculties or powers can be as exempt from the duty and privilege of praise. No one of his faculties can be exempt from the duty and privilege of praise. You understand what that means? That means that my heart recognizes who God is. It recognizes my position before him. And out of that comes this overflow of praise because I understand that I have nothing outside of what God gives me. It brings me to the place of being humbled spiritually. It brings me to the place of being, the Bible says that, uh, uh, that God blesses those who, uh, are poor spiritually. Blessed are those who are spiritually, uh, poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. 
And what he means by that is somebody who understands that when I come before God, my pockets are empty. I don't care how much money I have in this earth. It doesn't matter what I have here. I can have mansions. I can have cars. I can have bank accounts. I can have everything here. But when I come to God, there is not one of those the things that I have in this earth, my pockets are empty. Everything that I have is meaningless before God. All of the things that I have established in this earth are meaningless before the throne of God. That is where men are all equal, is before the cross. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what country you live in. None of that matters. Every single person is equal at the foot of the cross. Because the mercy of God is available to all mankind in the same degree. I think it was... uh, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago that we were in the Dominican Republic and uh, my older brother and I were talking after after we had gone to uh, one of the churches that morning. And it's it's the church actually that we, we bought land and, and we're planting a church for them. We're building, the building's being constructed right now. But uh, my brother preached that morning and uh, these were Haitian people living in the Dominican Republic's um, but when he preached, so he would have to speak in English. And then a Spanish translator, he would translate from English to Spanish. And the pastor of the church would translate from Spanish to Creole for the people. So you'd say a sentence and then you'd have to wait for 20 seconds while they translated in multiple languages. The point is they're very poor. Uh, the people that speak Haitian, the Creole, uh, they're very, very poor down there. It is not... Uh, put together the way that I would have wanted to be put together. Just for instance, uh, I always say that the way that they do music is American worship leaders' nightmare. Uh, They pick the songs on the spot when they're in the service. Uh, They sing in five different keys at the same time. Uh, It's not the way that I would do it. When I was a worship leader, you can imagine there were times where I'd cringe. And if you think music is loud in church in America, you should go to a Dominican church. They turn everything up as far as it will go. It doesn't matter. They have mic cables that are shorting out and cracking, and it is it is crazy. Uh, This is how bad it is. There's times where I had to put Kleenex in my ears to sit in the services. Uh, So... But the point is, after that, you know, we were talking about all of those things, and and my brother was saying, you know, there's not one thing. If we took them out of their place, this little Haitian church in the middle of uh, the Dominican Republic, we could take them and bring them up here and sit them in a service here. There is not one thing that we have to offer them, spiritually speaking, that they don't already have access to where they are. There's nothing more that I can give them here than they have access to where they are is because the mercies of God are available to them the same way they're available to me. It's not based on what we have. It's not based on this building that we have. It's not based on sound systems, having pianos. It's not based on any of that stuff. It's based on the mercy of God looking at the heart of man. And this is what David's talking about, recognizing the mercy of God that looks on the heart of man in compassion and equally It didn't matter that David was a king. David was the king of Israel. He had everything. But the mercy of God is available to him the same way it is available to you and me today as we sit here. The same way it is available to the youngest child 
in the poorest country on the face of the earth. It is available the same exact way to every man, woman, and child. But that is what David recognizes, this this merciful, loving, compassionate God. And out of that, he's saying, all that is within me then should be directed at him in worship. He recognizes his position, and then he changes his life. He bases his position, his his uh, desires, his affections. Again, everything within him, all that he does, his decisions that he make, he makes as he recognizes who God is. He recognizes his position. Then he turns his life, uh, he adjusts his life toward God in, to glorify him in light of those things. That's what we see David saying here. And then he goes on. Uh, we're going to go to uh, verse 8. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the, as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We have to understand how significant that is, that the God of heaven would look on mankind and that he would desire to move, uh, to, to remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Now it says that uh, uh, the Lord is... Uh, in verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. We have to recognize where that comes from. That is God, uh, that is God communicating to man how he interacts with man. Because you see, if where that started, that, that uh, uh, slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. If you go back to Psalm or uh, Exodus chapter 34, we've talked about this before, but the people of Israel in that moment, God had delivered them from Egypt. They had seen him part the sea, and Pharaoh's army goes in after them, and he closes the sea over them. They go through the wilderness, and God is providing for them all that they need. Moses was up on the mountain talking with God, and the people of Israel began to be restless because they thought he was taking too long. They didn't understand what was happening. They got uh, discouraged. They felt like uh, Moses was taking too long on the mountain. So in that moment, they go to Aaron and they said, we don't know what happened to Moses. We need you to make a God who can go before us. So the Israelites took off all their gold jewelry, everything that they had, they gave it to Aaron, and he melts it down and he makes this golden calf. In that moment, the Israelites, it says that the next day they got up and they offered the same offerings that they would have offered to God, that they they offered to this, uh, what they saw as an image of their God. Uh, so they created this image and they offered him this, the image, the same sacrifices that they would have offered God. In that moment, we know that God told Moses to go down because the people were turning away and he comes down and he's angry with them. And uh, So all of those things happened. They turned away from God uh in this great rebellion, after they had seen God do all of these things, delivering them from Egypt and leading them on. In that moment, Moses goes up before God and he is interceding on behalf of Israel. And because of the heart of Moses, because of who Moses was, because of his devotion to God, because of his faithfulness, God relented uh, in his anger. He still judged those who chose to uh, 
to walk away from God. He still judged those. God gave them the opportunity. He said, choose uh, if you were for God or if you're against him. So, But God relented in his anger because of Moses and his intercession on behalf of the people of Israel. So Moses is saying then, God, God tells Moses to take the people on to the land that he had promised him. And Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't send us up here from here. Because if you don't go with us, how will anyone know who we are? How will we be distinguished from anyone else on the face of the earth if your presence doesn't go with us? So he was so fixed on having the presence of God uh, go with them so that they would be distinguished as the people of God. that he said, if you're not going to go with us, don't even send us from here. So God, again, because of the faithfulness of Moses, he said, I will go with you. And then Moses says, now show me your glory. He wanted more. He wanted to see more of God. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I will show you my glory. So he said, the next day I'll put you up in this place, come up on the mountain, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll pass by, and you can see uh, the backside of me, but you can never see my face. He says, I will show you the backside of me. So he goes up on the mountain, and... uh Moses goes up on that day and he's with God. And God comes down and he passes in front of Moses. In Exodus chapter 34, starting verse 6, he says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The Lord, compassionate gracious and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and faithfulness, in spite of all that Israel had done, basically spit in the face of God, all he had done leading them out of Egypt, he relents from his anger, and he proclaims his name, which says, this is who I am, this is how I interact with you. He comes down in the midst of all that had just gone on. He says, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. If that doesn't do something for our hearts, understanding the love and mercy of God, then we have something we need to deal with as believers. If if there is nothing in our hearts when we hear of the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, if that does nothing for you, then we got something to deal with. You and I have something to deal with before God. If that doesn't do something, if that doesn't do something within our hearts that makes us want to offer God praise. Because there's nothing else. What we have as believers, if we can't be established on the foundation of God's mercy, His compassion, His His long-suffering, His love, all of this is faithfulness. So if we can't be established on that, there is nothing that we can do. That is where it starts. You see, because if I don't understand God's compassion and His mercy and His love, His long-suffering, if I don't understand that, I would almost guarantee you it can be traced back to not understanding my heart before God. You see, I can't understand God's mercy and His long-suffering and His compassion if I don't understand that I deserve death. I don't deserve anything from God. There's nothing that I deserved because of my sin, because of my rebellion against God, because of my sinful heart. 
All I deserved from him was death. You see, it was the compassion of God that looked on my heart and had pity on my heart, divine pity. You understand that that's the, the, the Hebrew words that they use there, talking about compassion, all those things. That is what he's talking about, that God has divine pity on the suffering of man. Now, when we're talking about the suffering of man, we're talking about the suffering suffering in sin. God has compassion on somebody who is suffering in sin. I'm not telling you that he accepts sin. I'm not telling you that he... But he has compassion in that he still offers mercy. He makes available his mercy to those who are caught in sin. So again, the, the, the most vile of sinners that you can think of today... The mercy of God is right there at their doorstep, available to them to step into right now. God has compassion on those who suffer in sin. He has compassion on those who suffer as the result of sin. This is what we're talking about. A God, the God that created all things has pity on my soul? Why? Why would He do that? Why would he look on somebody who has turned their back on him time after time and have pity, have compassion on them? You see, because God is drastically different than our way of thinking. Our first reaction in a lot of situations is want to give people what we think they deserve. Right? We want to take revenge. We want to give people what we think that they need as a result of what they've done. Now, there are consequences for actions. I don't want you to ever think I'm saying they're not. There are consequences for actions, and we're going to see that in a moment here. But mercy is still available. Pity, compassion is still available in the midst of suffering, in the midst of someone choosing to go their own way. The mercy of God is still available in that. If you go to Second Samuel chapter 11, So where David was, uh, he was king at this point, and we're going to see what uh, I think can be traced back to power corrupting the heart of David. Um, this is this is going to be kind of long, but bear with me as we go through this. Second Samuel chapter eleven, starting in, in verse one, it says, "In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab about." with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof uh, of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent his messengers to get her. He came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent his word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all of his master servants and did not go down to his house. 
When David was told, Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in the tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next day. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to it. Uh, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Uh, in it, he wrote, "Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him, so he will be struck down and die." So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent to David a full account of this battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king the account uh, of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and may ask you, Why did you do this? So he goes on and he talks about this. But uh, what, what we're seeing here is that David is the one that wrote this psalm. David is the one that that wrote this psalm talking about the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. The God who forgives our sin and casts our sin as far as it is from the east is from the west. You see what David just did? You see the way that his power corrupted him to the deepest parts of his heart? This wasn't just a sexual act. That's not, that's not all this is about. What happened was a powerful king who went up on a roof and he saw something and he said, I want that. He thought he was powerful enough to just take whatever he felt like taking. And then how, how it progresses from there that she would get pregnant and he would try to frame it in a way that looked like it was Uriah's child. He tried to send him home to be with his wife so it would look like it was his kid. And he goes on and he puts Uriah on the front lines to be killed. But you understand how intense this gets. Not only did he send him to the front lines to be killed, he sent the letter to the commander saying put Uriah on the front lines. He sent that letter with Uriah to the commander. So Uriah carried the letter that was sentencing him to death. David sent that letter with the man he was going to kill. That's pretty intense. So he gets a report of the battle and he tells the messenger to go back to Joab. And if you read a little bit farther, he basically says to Joab, well, don't worry about it. The sword falls on one person the same as somebody else. Now, What kind of corrupt nature has to be in your heart to get to that point? where you try to cover up for all the things that you've done, and then you send a letter to kill someone with the person you're trying to kill. And then you're that indifferent about it. The sword falls on somebody the same as it falls on somebody else. Now, there we went on, and if you read through this story, you find out that there were consequences for David's actions. You see through the history of Israel, if you go on, that things never fully recovered from this. At that point... The kingdom had been brought back together in unity through David, but after that point, if you read through the history of Israel, you will find that the kingdom split. And all all those things were a result of the actions of David at that point. 
What I'm saying to you this morning, as terrible as that is, what we saw in the life of David, the God of heaven still had compassion, still had pity, still had some desire to see something good come of David's life. There was something in him that still, if you look on uh, back to Psalm 103, starting in verse 13, he says, As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows we are how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it is gone, but its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. You understand that when God looks on us, regardless of what we think uh, of the sin of people around us, and absolutely there are some vile things that happen. And God judges things. He holds people accountable for their actions. There are consequences for actions. But there is still mercy available for the heart of the person that in our eyes has done the most vile things you can think of. The mercy is still available for someone to be transformed. What that says to us today in the church is number one, that you know that there are people that think that they've done too much to come to know God. They're, they've done too much in their life to know God, to walk with Him. Done too many terrible things. There is not one person, it doesn't matter what you've done, there's no way that what you've done is worse than what David did. God still has compassion. For you, He still has mercy available for you today. And what it says to the rest of us, if you know God, is that our hearts should be so established in understanding the love of God, the compassion of God, the long-suffering of God, all that He is, that out of us should flow a desire to praise Him and worship Him in light of that. The worship team is going to come up as we close this morning. Um, maybe, maybe today that you are one of those people that you are here and you feel like you've just done too much to have a relationship with God, that God wouldn't want anything to do with you. That is fully a lie from Satan in every way. There is no truth to that whatsoever. It doesn't, there is nothing that any one person ever could do that would separate them from the mercy that is available to them in God. The mercy of God is available to every man and woman and child until the moment they draw their last breath. Maybe you don't know him today. And if you don't, I would urge you to know him today. To know him in his love and his compassion. Know him as a long-suffering God who desires. The Bible says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God isn't pleased when someone dies and goes to hell. That is not something God is pleased with. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you know God, but there's nothing within your heart. There's no thanksgiving. You don't feel like you, you have a heart of praise. You don't feel like... That compassion of God really means a whole lot to you.
need to tell God that. There's nothing wrong with saying to God, I know all of these things about you, but it doesn't do anything. There's nothing in my heart for it. There's nothing. He knows that. He knows you. He knows that about you. So tell him and pursue him until it changes. But as the church, this is the last thing I'll say, as the church, there is no way that we will ever be effective in work for God if we are not established in that foundation. Understanding, as God proclaimed his name in the midst of the Israelites who had rebelled against him, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding love. That was how he proclaimed himself in the midst of the rebellion of Israelites. If we are not established in that as God's church, you can be sure we will never be effective outside of these walls. We'll never be effective inside these walls. I can't encourage a brother and sister in Christ if I don't understand the long-suffering of God. I can't build somebody up if I don't understand the mercy of God. I can never be, uh, I can never overcome personality differences if I don't understand the ways that God has overlooked things in my life. With a long-suffering attitude, being patient with me, hoping that I will grow and continue on in faith to know Him more. You see, the Bible says that God is kind, and His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. There is a moment where God is patient with us in the midst of some of the foolish things we do in order to lead us to his ends. You see, I have to understand those things about God so that I can interact with the people around me, I can interact with God the right way, and I can interact with the world around me in the right way. It starts with that foundation, understanding the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. God, we thank you today for the opportunity to worship you, to be together, to walk in your love, to be established in your love. Father, help us to be people that every interaction that we have flows out of our understanding of who you are, the ways that you proclaimed yourself in the midst of Israel. That we would desire to be people of compassion. That we would desire to be people that are slow to anger, that our love would abound more and more as your spirit works within us. Father, help us to be people of praise. Help us to be people established in the foundation of who you are and that we would just overflow with joy and thanksgiving. That it would be something that just flows out. It's not even something we're conscious of, but just every word that we say would flow out of uh, your compassion and love and long-suffering that is established in our hearts. Father, we love you today. We thank you for all that you are. It's your name we pray, amen. If you have a need today, come to this side. Someone will pray with you. If you would like to pray by yourself, come over here and you can do that.